Hello, I'm Joyce. I'm June. And I'm Paula. We're the Kavanagh Sisters and we'd like to welcome you to our series of Counting In Podcasts where we continue to shine a light on childhood sexual abuse and its impacts. In today's podcast, we will be looking at the psychological impacts of childhood sexual abuse and discussing how they manifested for each of us in our lives. Do you remember ever knowing there was a difference between shame and guilt? I certainly wouldn't have known as a child. I would have felt they both were the same thing. I definitely felt guilt and shame, but I thought that was one emotion. Guilt is about something you've done and shame is about who you are. But they both were very relevant when it comes to sexual abuse. Well, I know when we watched that Brené Brown talk, when she did a talk about shame and guilt, I remember that moment of realising my life had just changed by listening to that. I know I remember you saying that. Now, I'm still a little bit baffled with that, but that's the benefit of us all being different because to me, like it was, it was information. It was good to know. It was just information. It didn't change me the way it seems to have changed. Because you. what it did for me was it separated out who I was from the behaviour that I really didn't like. Yeah. That was huge for me. Yeah. I think for me, I remember being in work and myself and a colleague were to do a particular job and we went off and made an absolute hames of it. But when it came to going back to the boss and admitting, I bottled it. And I blamed everything on her. And she just sat there and took it. But I remember walking out and I was saying, oh God, like my stomach was sick. And I had to walk back in the office and I said, no, that's not true. You know, this was something we did together. Don't, don't worry, I'll rectify it. I'll do it again. But I remember after walking out of the office at the time feeling I had just taken off a big heavy coat or something. That was guilt. I did something wrong. I apologised. And I definitely learned from that experience. Now, even then, and that was long before I heard of Brené Brown, I wouldn't have known the difference. That by owning up actually allowed me the opportunity to rectify a mistake. I felt better. Finding out that feeling guilty about something that you did is separate from who you are is what made all the difference when I looked at all the things I absolutely hated about myself. Not being able to own up for something and not being able to take responsibility for anything. When I could separate them out, from who I was, I actually could then learn slowly to have a bit of compassion and understanding and then change my behaviours that I didn't like. I think to me, when I learned that I could make a mistake, because everyone does it, and it was something I didn't allow myself to do, I made a mistake, I apologised, I rectified it. That was a huge, huge thing for me. But it also helped me on a deeper level not to take things personal. That when somebody criticised, I didn't think they were criticising me. They were criticised something that I did. Yeah, well, I obviously haven't learned that lesson yet because <laughs> I do take criticism like it's fatal. Like my response is out of proportion completely. I thought guilt and shame were the same. Like the guilt would have been part of it because of the sense of responsibility. The sense of responsibility comes from the fact that there's two people involved in this destructive, toxic, uh, sexual, abusive relationship. But to me, I didn't understand that at the time. I just felt totally ashamed of my, myself. 
But shame for me was the biggest killer because it was associated with who I was. I was so deeply ashamed of myself and my body. All natural bodily functions became a problem. Sound, smells. And then to have a relationship with somebody was really difficult, even if you loved somebody and you wanted to get close to them. As soon as it became intimate, all of those triggers, all of those sounds and smells and feelings would come up, play a destructive role in any chance you had at getting intimate. I think the shame is the beginning of the end, like, the you know, it's the beginning of the self-hatred. It's where all of my self-image issues came from. I hated my body. I felt... My body was the problem. And so I had no reason to like it. It was nothing good about it. It was what he wanted. It was what all men seemed to want. I just felt it was the body was the fault. As I say, shame from sexual abuse lasts longer than any other damage done because it really goes to the core of who you are. Yeah. That's how they get entangled. Like, it doesn't make sense. I think what happens is a child is in a situation they cannot get out of. So on some level, after the crying and the begging and the pleading and the everything else, if you're in a, a situation like us where abuse was daily, you're now in a situation you have no control over. So some part of you resigns to the abuse and that resignation can feel like complicit, you know. It's a surrender. Compliance, yes. And the surrender and the compliance and all that feels like responsibility. It feels like you're in it. There's two people in this crime and you're one of them. So you must be guilty. Something that grows and develops and then the shame represents who you are. But the shame, you see, is something to do. It is about who you are. When you think where it comes from, it started with us, like keeping the secret, keeping watch in case anyone comes into the room. I'm feeling that was our responsibility and that if something happened and somebody walked in and we were caught, like even using those words, it'll tell you the way we were thinking at the time. And then you just carry that right through your life. And I do believe shame eats away at the very core of you. And it's responsible for so many issues you have later in life. Every single aspect of your life. Well, that self-hatred that I had, I remember I described um, the sense that I could nearly draw on my body where my self-hatred lived. It was yeah. like a big black centre that couldn't be shifted. That's the shame is what started that. When you're the one being raped, why are you the one to take the responsibility and the shame of what's happening to you? Why would you feel ashamed from the, from the get-go? You're doing something together. Now, he may be the one that's raping you, but you are the one that's keeping a secret. You know, in a way, you're involved. So now it's something to do with the two of us. Now, he certainly doesn't appear to be ashamed. And he certainly doesn't appear to be worried that somebody might walk in the room. So therefore, now I'm taking on the responsibility to listen out. I'm really nervous about being caught, which is an indication somewhere in my head I have... A fear of being caught, which means I'm doing something wrong. Well, I think the shame is born out of the vulnerability you feel when you're being raped. For instance, what you were wearing, you had to undress from the waist down. That vulnerability of being naked as a child fed into the shame that I would have felt when I was being raped. 
it was my shame, not his, because I was the one naked. He wasn't. I actually think it is that because I think the first sense you would have something is going on here and two people are involved. Now, logically, I know I was a victim, right? But at that time, I would have believed the fact that I'm keeping a secret and I'm not telling anyone means I'm now involved. But why do you take on the shame when the reason you're keeping the secret is because he told you to keep the secret? I think it's a very clever thing done by abusers. I think it's a very clever thing. And it's the only crime I know of where the victim takes on the shame, the guilt and the responsibility. Well, I'd say part of it is you're protecting your abuser. You don't want anything if they've done their job right, which they usually have. Whatever they've told you, you have got it in your mind that this is a secret that has to be kept. Ultimately, it doesn't matter about whether you're protecting them or not. Ultimately, you don't want to lose your family. That's instinctual. That's ingrained in every human being. You know, to preserve the family unit, no matter how bad it is in the unit. That's all you know. And anything else is terrifying. And you will preserve that at all costs. For me, shame would have spilled over into self-hatred. A very poor self-image. Hated anything to do with my own body, my hair, my feet, my eyesight. I had bad eyesight. I just hated my body. I hated everything about myself. And I couldn't tell the difference between, you know, my behaviour and my being. But if I think of the shame I would have felt and carried forward in my life. Well, I was always convinced I was ugly. But at the same time, that wasn't my biggest issue, how I looked. My biggest issue was who I was. So when I went out, it wasn't how I looked that was my biggest preoccupation. It was what I said, what I didn't say, who I spoke to, who I didn't. They were the things that I was obsessed with. Because how I got away with not worrying about how I looked is I never looked in the mirror. I still don't in lots of cases. My shame came from who I thought I was. Like you don't realise that shame affects your belief about who you are. Your belief about everything about yourself. Every belief you have about yourself is wrapped up in shame. We would have never realised that growing up. It would be like, you know, that black hole in your stomach that you felt. I just felt no matter what happened, even positive things happened in my life, I could never absorb them because of the darkness inside of me. And I wouldn't have even been able to articulate that. I just knew it didn't matter how good things were. There was something really wrong. And there was always a fear and it wouldn't have been conscious of being found out. Yeah, and I think you were you were trained to keep people at a distance. And so when you were getting older and there was a risk of, you know, closer relationships, that was very threatening and very frightening and it would have opened up a whole new area of fear. I I don't recall doing it deliberately but I know coming into my early teens I would have begun to overeat for comfort and it would have consolidated the self-hatred and self-image would have been important to me because I felt that's what people see and what people thought and saw was so important to me. And it was important to me because I didn't trust my own thoughts. I didn't trust it. And so I depended 
on others and people particularly close to me, their opinion were vital for my survival. Shame also stopped you owning your achievements. We've all gone through college, we've all got degrees. It didn't make any difference what my results were. I just felt I never took up the experience of college the way I would have wished I had. Because I didn't engage with people and I didn't learn. I just learned the way I'd always learned. I learned by heart. So I didn't understand anything. For me, it was, everything I did was fear-driven. Everything. Right up until very recently, everything I did was fear-driven. Like our second book was the beginning of owning, you know, what we do and how good we are. Because everything we did up to that point, I could own it for about 10 minutes. Yeah, and shame, when you think of um, shame does push you towards addictions. It's, it's actually like looking for an escape. They're just methods you use, tools you use for some form of release and, and comfort. Thank God uh, we didn't go into drugs or prostitution because that's all part of it. Because given the right set of circumstances, that could have been me. Well, Dr. Gabor Mate, he worked for 12 years in a drug centre in Vancouver. And he said in the entire time he worked there, he dealt with a lot of people that, you know, drug users. And he never met one female drug user who hadn't been sexually abused. How you get over shame and how you get over that self-hatred is by understanding it. When I heard Brené Brown explain the difference between guilt and shame and I could separate those two things out, that was the beginning of me taking the first step towards actually letting go and forgiving myself and being able to move forward. It is the only way to move forward is to look and understand why you do what you do and why you feel the way you feel in response to something. Well, you know, uh, it might not be so intense for other people as it was for us insofar as we have been writing about this stuff. So in order to write about it, we had to seriously look at our past, uh, not let each other off the hook easily. So there was no initial point. Well, when, when that happened, that's when I started to address shame and guilt. It was part of the overall process. There was so much information that we were getting. It was allowing me to be kinder in my thoughts and my self-talk about myself as the realization day by day came that none of it was my fault and every response I, that grew out of that all of the personality traits that I didn't like or I detested actually were forgivable they were understandable and they were normal natural responses to being sexually abused as a child but with guilt yeah absolutely you can use it as a driving force to make changes, positive changes in your life. But shame is deeper. That is a transformation and <coughs> change needs to take place there. You know, the good thing about guilt is you do realise that it's something you've done and it can be rectified. So it's not a personal criticism. It's something, some act that you can rectify or not, but at least it's separate from who you are. Shame is about who you are. And what we actually did to deal with this was through the writing of our book, we had to really, really delve and look at every belief we had, every belief we held about ourselves. 
which were mainly negative and and to find out learn and understand where they came from even knowing that it wasn't that easy to just decide like let it go but with that understanding you're less critical of yourself and you do have a bit more compassion that's the only thing that worked for us now I think and I think it's because we had to delve so deeply in order to get the information and that's it that's the point I'm making is that I don't know how other people will choose to go about this but you absolutely have to start somewhere and information you can't do anything unless you're aware awareness is the first step and so you know that's why we're hoping we're hoping to achieve with these podcasts is to put that information out there so at least you're in possession of the information what you do with it is entirely down to you there's a time and a place in everybody's healing journey they can decide how or when or if they want to take action in a certain area I think it would be very good if they decided, I believe this about myself. Now, let's investigate and see where did I get that belief? How long have I held that belief? Is it my belief? Is it something I heard when I was a child? Even starting like with just one belief, there is a way through this. First of all, recognize that it's there and, and its origins. And then also recognize that you can let it go. Do what you can. Do the best you can from where you're at. It does take uh, awareness, but it can be done. To me, once I know something can be achieved, and I don't care how long it takes me to do it, the impacts are different. The decision to heal from childhood sexual abuse places you on the most important journey of your life. You're in charge of this journey. Only you know what works for you and what doesn't. It takes as long as it takes, because there's no rush in it and there's no fake in it. You have to feel it. And just as the ripple of pain that you're in goes out and impacts all of those around you, so does the healing. And the more you heal, the more everyone around you benefits. Thank you for listening. Hopefully some of the information we have shared will resonate with you. This will give you a deeper understanding of yourself, plus allow you to move into a space where you can show compassion to yourself. Please know that no matter how you feel or how you reacted to the abuse, it was normal. We are hopeful and optimistic that those in any position of power to bring about change will be moved into action so we can finally eradicate childhood sexual abuse. So please spread the word and share the information. Thank you. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter or contact us directly on thecavernessisters at gmail.com. You've been listening to the Cavernous Sisters Count Me In podcast. We're going to leave you with a quote which you can carry with you throughout your day. Remember, love is stronger than hate. And no matter what you've been through, your capacity to love is not gone anywhere. It's still there. On the days you feel filled with self-hatred, know that they're not your feelings they grew out of your abuse focus on the love and remember that's who you truly are